Welcome to the What Moves Us podcast. I'm Natalie Reyna, a dancer and mover with a master's degree in clinical psychology and founder of Reyna Movement, an organization that teaches people tools to slow the motion of their lives and reconnect to their bodies. Join me as I talk with ordinary people finding extraordinary healing by connecting to their bodies through different types of movement. My mission is to spread the message that tuning into our body is not only accessible, but key to our mental health and healing journeys. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of What Moves Us. This is your host, Natalie Reyna, and as always, I'm super excited to bring you another story of ordinary people finding extraordinary healing through movement. Today, we have Dr. Simon Howard, a dynamic professor, hip-hop artist, and capoeira practitioner based in Miami, Florida. Raised between the deserts of Southern California and coastal Santa Cruz, Simon first connected to movement through high school football and track and field. During this time, Simon pushed himself not only physically, but mentally through his self-exploration of race and identity as a young black man. After high school, Simon attended San Jose State University as a first-generation college student, where he cheered for a year before moving straight into his social psychology PhD program at Tufts University. Following his doctorate, Simon discovered capoeira and has been practicing ever since. Today, Simon serves as the Director of the Psychology of Racism, Identity, Diversity, and Equity, or PRIDE, Research Lab, and as an Assistant Professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Miami. Simon's purpose is to be the professor that he wishes he had, while simultaneously utilizing his diverse talents to advocate for racial awareness and identity exploration. I'm so excited for you all to hear this episode, so stay tuned in because it's going to be a good one. Today, we have Simon Howard, who I randomly met on the street in Greece, which is super fun and kind of weird story. Um, but so, Simon, welcome to What Moves Us. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Uh, super excited to be having a conversation with you. Yay. Awesome. And before we get started, I generally like to ask my guests, do you have something like you that you like to do to ground yourself before you start your movement practice? Or we'll get into this later, but you're a professor. If there's anything that you like to do um, before you get started. Yeah. So I'll touch on uh, two things that I love to do. So um, before like I start and train uh, like I like to visualize things that I might be doing before my practice, right? Um, and so this is something I learned uh, from one of my track coaches back in high school where he was talking about like these high level athletes where a lot of what they were doing before they were, you know, training hurdles and um, pole vaulting, things like that, was that they would visualize what they're doing over and over and over like the right way to do it. And then through that, they sort of saw themselves improve with doing this like visualization practice, this practice. Now, again, I don't know if it was like an empirical study or anything, being somebody that is in that space. But I think that what he was saying is that when people were doing this, they got better versus when they weren't doing it. So then I try to visualize myself doing these movements or maybe it's things that I don't know how to do yet, but I'm I'm trying and practicing. So it's like visualization before I go. And you can do that like in the car on your way to uh, wherever it is that you're going or like I train at a studio so that I can like visualize this one move I'm trying to learn um, mm. before I do that. If I'm teaching or before I go into like situations in which I think I'm going to be evaluated. So definitely, I think 
in a teaching profession, if you're teaching, you have a bunch of people looking at you um, and hanging on different words, every word that you're saying, if you're lecturing, I like to freestyle. So I also do music um, outside of teaching. And so freestyle, freestyling is improvisation for those who, who don't know. Um, so you just like put on an instrumental beat and you just start rapping about things that just kind of pop up in your mind. And so I remember before I got hired at the first job I was at, like as a professor, the way to kind of just ground myself was that I just put on a beat and then started rapping. And then I went into my interviews. Love so it. I was like rapping a minute before and then having this interview about why they should hire me as a professor. <laughs> love it. I love it. That's awesome. And I mean, like, there's so many benefits to that, right? I, I, do you know, like hip hop therapy? Have you ever like studied that or looked into that at all? So I haven't studied it like myself specifically, but it is things that I that I'm interested in outside of like what I do as a professor in psych. But yeah, I I I, I can't say I'm super well versed, but I'm definitely as like, someone who loves hip hop, like looking at what are the therapeutic benefits of this art form. Totally. No, I'm just I'm just asking because there's um just there's some incredible people. And if I'm like, everybody who's listened to this podcast knows that I'm like obsessed with these few clinicians that are based in different parts of the, of the country. But um, one of the things about beats is that it kind of helps to regulate your nervous system. And so that's something that like people don't think about or notice is like when you're listening to music, that constant beat and rhythm right. actually helps to yeah, calm, calm the nervous system down. So, um, so that's kind of cool that you just inherently like yeah. are doing that for yourself and then using your voice too, right. right? It activates like the vagus nerve and gets you kind of like set and, and good and, um, present. So super exactly. Cool. Wow. That's dope. That's super cool. Um, and so to start, first of all, I should have addressed you as Dr. Howard, <laughs> Dr. Simon Howard. So oh, it's all good. Let the people know, good. you know, <laughs> but it is hard work. And so that like, I want to respect that and let people know that that's what you are. It's like you. Yeah. Um, but before we get to that, let's start, like, start from the beginning. Where did you grow up? Can you give us a little bit about your background, what it was like for you? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, we're going to start. I love origin stories. So uh, uh, I'm originally from California, so born and raised uh, West Coast, best coast. And I was born in a small desert town in the Imperial Valley. Most people may have not heard of it unless you um, are either familiar with that area or you grew up in that area. So Brawley, California. Okay. Um, small, as I said, small desert town, agricultural town. Mm. Um, a lot of migrant workers, folks. Um, who are, are probably largely undocumented um, and uh, folks who have like migrated maybe to like from the South through Texas. Like mm -hmm. those are migration patterns of like how people end up in this area. Uh, so I grew up there until like middle school and then I moved to Santa Cruz, um, which is a beach city, kind of central coast, about an hour South of San Francisco. Okay. Um, and what's interesting, you know, I was like, I always say I'm a combination of these two environments that I grew in or grew up in, like the desert. Think about like what you like, think about plants that grew up in the desert, right? Like right. you're resilient. You grew up in these harsh environments and yet you still find a way to thrive and, and grow. And then moving to this beach city, Santa Cruz, which tends to be for the most part, very laid back. 
kind of chill, mellow, and like accepting for the most part. It's a very liberal type place. And so I'm like, okay, I'm an amalgamation of both these places. Like I feel like I overcome adversity and resilient, but I'm also very like chill and laid back. Mm-hmm. So I think I like adapted uh, or adopted like these traits of these environments like to who I am. Right. Um, other aspects about me, like I say I, would, I grew up poor working class. Uh, one of my catchphrases is EBT to PhD. Um, so <laughs> I always it. say that. <laughs> um, so I think like when you grow up, grow up in that like environment or context, it kind of definitely sticks with you and it influences how you, you move today. Um, and, it, and that can manifest itself in many different ways. But I just feel for me, it's like um, I always say that like no matter where I, I'm going, I remember where I came from. Mm. Um, obviously like I think other folks say that same phrase but like definitely try to ground myself in like no matter what social mobility I'm still sort of attached ideologically to the proletariat that folks use those words but are like working class folks sure. that's no matter where I'm going from like a social economic standpoint my allegiance is tied to like working class folks poor and working class people totally um yeah, so that's that's just like I think how I move, and then where I'm at now, um, living in Miami, University of Miami is where I work. I'm a psychology professor, um, and it's definitely I think a journey from where I came from to where I'm at now came a long way. Um, just navigating these spaces with, you know, these various identities that I carry, also Black American, um, and that also influences, you know how I navigate the United States, right? It's a, a group that is still marginalized and stigmatized to this day. So it's just like all these these things like make me who I am. Um, and it kind of informs and influences just I think how I move. Totally. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, it's fun that you're from the desert because I'm also from the desert. So maybe that's why we connected. Okay. <laughs> Grew up in Palmdale. It must so. have been. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> One desert rat to another. I see you. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah. So I'm wondering, I'm going to thank you for sharing all that. And I, I want to pull it back a little bit to like your personal experiences, like growing up in the desert and then like transitioning to the coast, like the Northern coast of California. Like, can you talk a little bit about like what that was like for you? You said that was like in middle school. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it it took some getting used to, right. So this, where I was, there's a large population. I mean, California in general has like a lot of large Latino population, that next population. Um, but I think it was it was slightly different just from like the geographic location. And I think there was a lot more uh Latinx folks in in Brawley, just by mm-hmm. nature of being its proximity to the, the border. And then shifting into Santa Cruz, uh, it is a liberal uh city. And you know, like one of the like the bumper stickers you'll see all the time is like keep Santa Cruz weird. So you do have that element there. But there's also like another aspect that people don't see unless you live there. Um, and then where it's like there are like very, uh, I would say, deep rooted, like racist, like pockets within Santa Cruz, especially like Santa Cruz Mountains, sure. Boulder Creek. So like across South, Santa Cruz County, um, you have those types of pockets. And as you're growing up, you, you sort of experience that. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm transitioning, not that I didn't experience it probably in 
uh, Brawley as well, but it's different as you're growing older and sort of getting more developed and like noticing things slightly different. Um, and yeah, like, so now I'm like entering high school mm. and, and having that, those experiences and then transitioning from like where I was knowing more people than to a city where I didn't really know that many people. But luckily I grew up like with my cousin, same age. Um, and so like got introduced to some of his uh, friends. Um, yeah. I see. Okay. So it's like, you're in this kind of transition moment and you're getting older. And so your awareness of like these racial kind of situations and tensions are like becoming more like um, obvious, I guess, or more like noticeable for you as you're getting older. Um, did you have like, how did you handle that? How did you handle that within the transition? Like, did you have an outlet? Like, what did that look like for you? Yeah, you know, I think uh, I've always been like very introspective because I, I reflect like on like aspects of my childhood and just different stages of my life. Like over time, just to be like, oh, kind of like how did this come about? Was it something at this, these different points? So I feel like even when I was very young, I was very like in tune with like, I guess, prejudice behavior. Didn't maybe have the words to articulate you know, or maybe fully have a grasp on what's happening, but I knew like, okay, this isn't, this isn't right, or this feels wrong morally, or like the way I'm treated, or someone just said something to me negative from like a, I almost had preschool age to kindergarten, mm. and then uh, I think as like time progresses, and especially I think as I moved into to Santa Cruz, where you yeah, are still a numerical minority in terms of like. There weren't many black folks in Brawley, but definitely not that many in Santa Cruz at all. Sure. Uh, and maybe because Brawley's smaller, a smaller like town that you like see or know people more. Cause my grandma was hella connected in Brawley. Like Aww. she knew everybody. Everybody knew her, everybody, and she knew everyone. Santa Cruz, still not that big, but it's like it's bigger sure. relatively. And so like the percentage of black folks in that in that city is like hella small. I want to say it's like 0.1% maybe smaller right and so now it's like you're hyper visible mm. like if, if you're black you're hyper visible in these spaces because majority of the spots that you're going to or just frequenting is either going to be like predominantly white with a sprinkle of black and brown folk and then like with that I think that's what kind of um this made me like more uh I don't know, like, I wouldn't necessarily aware because I was like, say, I was aware before, but just like maybe more, uh, it was more salient more often because of the spaces I was in. And then so like, you're dealing with this, like, so how do I cope, right? So I felt like for me, I leaned into my identities more, mm. like where other folks were maybe derogating who I was based off being black and who I am, where I used that and found a source of pride. Mm. And so I was like, oh, okay, I'm being bombarded with messages that's denying me as a human existence and, you know, derogating me in this negative way, but I'm looking at this and I'm finding love and beauty in, in, in blackness. Mm. And no, and it was crazy. Cause like oftentimes when I think about this and like stories, like there's, that's coming from somewhere, right? Like either family members or, but for me, it's, it would kind of just happen organically where it's just like, that was, that was my coping strategy. Wow. I was like, all right, if, if folks are going to do that, it's like, I'm going to lean into this and, and find it as a source of pride. Like, I'm not, 
going to uh, like run from my blackness. I'm gonna run to it. Wow. And I like been doing that since. Um, but yeah, and I wouldn't say like the family at, in general was like very pro black. Okay. Hourly, but then like for me that it's just developed and it's been it's just been who I I am since a very young age. I would say. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That was going to be my question is like, where did you find, like, where did you get the strength to do that? Because that is hard. <laughs> That's really hard yeah. to do. And you just kept. Yeah. Going. So like I said, it just, I think just having organic. And then obviously over time, like once you sort of develop that, I think identity, then you start seeking things out. Mm. Right. So it's like, okay, if like I am having these positive associations, it's like, so where do I find other sources to kind of reaffirm the way I'm feeling about myself right. and black people in general. So then I think, you know, I sought out like things on YouTube or other sources where it's like, oh, okay, like I hear about Malcolm X. Because in school you learn some things, but usually, especially when I was coming up, it's um it's very curated. And so it's like I wasn't learning about the black exactly. I wasn't learning about like the Black Panther Party, for example. I was learning about uh, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, and even the way that's presented, it was very limited in scope. Where I learned much later, I'm like, damn, MLK was very, uh, well, I think his approach is revolutionary in and of itself, you know, using nonviolence in the face of people being violent to you. But then the way in which he talked about uh, the United States and he came out against the military and one of the form like a poor people's movement right and it's like those aspects we didn't hear like i never heard about like k through 12 and it's like oh wow like there's this whole other aspect during the last few years of his life that just are erased omitted and i'm like that's that's the king like that we should also be talking about the anti-capitalist the anti-american imperialist like that that's also needs to be part of the narrative Right. Right. So, yeah, I think over time, it's just like doing that, that reading and digging in. It's like, all right, who are these folks? Right. Um, and that just like strengthened. And that's like, I think one of the ways I, I, I coped early. Mm, yeah. And so you kind of talked about like finding YouTube videos or finding like outside outside sources like that. Did you like find a community in Santa Cruz at all? Like that kind of not. Okay. Yeah, not really in Santa Cruz. I just think like growing up is interesting. Like I was also in, uh, I did sports in in high school, so like football, track, wrestled one year. Okay. Um, and so like that was community, but not necessarily about like any sort of racially justice oriented topics, you know. Sure. And I, it's so funny. Like I have always had this reoccurring thought um, about how when Colin Kaepernick was on the Forty ers and then how you know there's this movement in addressing about you know not observing uh the national anthem and then people so upset because it's unpatriotic and you know his well-developed articulate argument on like why would someone want to participate in this if people aren't granted the things that citizens of this country are granted granted especially black folks and so when i was in high school i wouldn't participate in the national anthem. I would never stood for it. And it was funny because like no one really said anything. I would get looks, but like during that time, because it was like at the height of everyone, it was like this national platform. 
if you did it in that time, people were hella upset. Right. And maybe would try to fight you or say something to you. But I was like, right. bro, I was never sitting, I was never standing for that. And I was like, and I would remix the words sometimes. And I just remember like I did that during a football game and one of the players got hella mad and, and like hit my helmet. Like we're, we're on the sideline of the game. Cause I said uh, the last few lines, I can't remember, I would say, oh, land of the leech, home of the slave. And he Oof. was so mad. Cause I was like, we leeching off every other sovereign nation uh, in oh. terms of for resources. Jeez. And then home of the slaves, I was like, yo, this country has slaves. Like, am I saying anything that ain't the truth? And he got hella mad. <sighs> and so, yeah, it was things like that, but like definitely not in Santa Cruz. Mm. I think it's different now if I had been there as an adult, but I think as uh, someone who's like coming up still, you know, in their teens, I didn't have that community. We didn't even have a black student union at, wow. at my high school. Cause I think there's probably too few of us to like, I didn't even know that was a thing until I got to college. I'm like, Oh, there was black student unions, but it was, it wasn't like something that I was aware that that happened or that right. uh, were organizations that were happening or occurred at like high school. Right. Wow. What year, what year did you graduate from high school? Oh, damn. You can date me. Let me think. Oh, uh, sorry. I don't, you don't have to. <laughs> No, 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 no. It's cool. I'm I just say. curious. 2006. Okay. 2006. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I can't even imagine, yeah, not standing for the national anthem, like, in 2006. I feel like that was, like, a very kind of patriotic and, like, weird time. It was, like, the the wars oh, were, like, going, yeah. you know, it's, like, a lot. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot going on, you know, especially, like, yeah, during during that, that era. Yeah. It says a lot about you, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's like a lot about you and your values and like what you stand for and believe in. And for that to start so young, you know, that's hard for people. (laughs) It's really hard. So something about you knew that like, okay, this is, I know what I'm standing for and I'm sitting because I don't believe in this. So yeah, that's, that's crazy. And so was high school when you started like getting into like movement practices, like with sports and stuff, or had you started that at a younger age? What, what was your timeline for like movement? No, stuff? Yeah. I think, you know, besides just running around being, you know, hyper with other kids, uh, <laughs> like a more focused movement, I think, yeah, it happened in high school. Like I didn't do organized sports until I went to high school. And then I was like, you know what? I want to try out for football. I never played and I was just like is this something I wanted to do convince my grandma to let me do it um and then you know fell in love with it just like all aspects of it um and then track I was like let me just you know it, it started two reasons I was like one is a way to kind of keep in shape in the off season for football but I also just love like running or sprinting let me I like sprinting Okay. Long runs, I don't enjoy as much, but you know, sprinting, I find more enjoyable because okay. like, you're going really fast and then it's it's over. Right. Quick. Yeah. Um, and then like I also started doing hur- hurdles, even though I'm not tall. Okay. But I was like, you know, here's a challenge. Let me jump over some hurdles. Right. I do that metaphorically already in my life, so let me <laughs> let me do it in, on the track. Right. Then, uh and then wrestling i just i did that one year uh my senior year because i was like why not yeah it's like i gotta i gotta do something like football was done i'm not gonna i know i wasn't gonna probably play in college okay 
I was like, you know, I don't, I don't got that size. Right. And I don't know if I'm going to, like, grow and gain the speed. So I was like, you know what? Let me, like, do something in between. So then this in football. So I think, yeah, high school is where it started. Cool. And what was it about, like, the organized <laughs> sports for you? Like, what did you enjoy? Like, what kept you going back to it? Oh, um, I think it, it's several things. I think when you're, you are in a group where, like, you're building community. Right. Um, and it brings people together because you are sharing in this like common goal, right? Like whatever, I, like we want to beat the other team. Mm. So we're coming together and then we're working together over a period of time, investing all this, this energy to try to achieve this goal together. And I'm really like am big on building community. So like reflecting back on it, like now, like I'm the same way now It's like building community. It may not just be like sports, but just like in general. Right. And so what I liked about that organized sports is like here you have a group of people coming together, organizing around a common goal, building community and, you know, long lasting friendships. And, you know, just having, I think, folks that hopefully that you can rely on in other aspects outside of that mm. domain as well. Right. Um, and that's what like, yeah, I really I think that's why I really like that. And then wrestling and track was a little different like it's still there's a team oriented aspect but I also like that it was independent too so like you would go and do dual meets right so it'd be your high school versus the other high school but when you're running that lane you by yourself right and it's like it's you as an individual athlete uh, but there still was like a this team aspect because you're mm -hmm. cheering on other folks who are running like the you know the 3200 or the mile the 800 like whatever that is you're like still rooting for the collective, but it's still testing you as an individual. Mm. Um, so I like that, that too. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I like the community building aspect of it. That's like a cool reflection. And I'm also wondering, like you, you talked about getting into hurdles and that you were overcoming hurdles, like in your day-to-day -day life. <laughs> so when you started doing that, like movement, I'm just wondering if there's like some kind of connection there. Like, is was did you notice like when you were jumping hurdles in your life, you jumped better, or that you like? Do you know what I mean? Do you, know, do you get it? Like, <laughs> right? Yeah, like we embodying right like, our lived experience and it's like coming out in a different or, way. Yeah, or did it, like, oh help damn, I never. Stuff? To be honest, I can't even. I can't like this is on the spot me thinking about that because I never thought about it like that. Yeah, in that way, like, huh? While I was like was the time that I started doing hurdles like in in for sport and in track, did that help me actually overcome other hurdles in my life? Right. Um, I, what I can say is this, because I think that's going to take some deeper reflection than <laughs> I could maybe come up with in this moment. But sure. I do think that while I was doing, while I started, because I didn't start with hurdles, I was doing straight sprints. Um, and, it, and it was fine. I was like competing to an mm. extent. But there was always folks that were like faster than me. And I was like, yo, I want to compete. Like I will do this, but what can I compete in where at least like on our team, we are maybe lacking in. And we didn't have, I think at that time we had no hurdlers. Wow. And I was like, bet, I'm going to be that hurdler. I'm going to be, I'm going to be that one. That's me. And then, <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, and I was like, and it was different. It's a challenge. I love challenging myself too. So I was like, all right, 
Now I got to learn how to hurdle because you're literally jumping over these objects and people be falling all the time. And I was like, you know what? But I'm not, a, I was like, maybe I was a little afraid, but I don't think I was too afraid. I was like, okay. let me just do it. Yeah. Um, and I think like when I started that, I do feel like in that point in time, because it was like this probably my second year, other aspects of my life too, that's like got more enjoyable in the sense, or like mm -hmm. I remember being like happier in that point in time. Now, there are probably some other factors involved as well. Sure. But like in part, maybe it's also explained by me like hurdling in this one domain is transferring over to me hurdling obstacles and other aspects of my life. And by doing that, now it's like increasing my overall psychological well-being. I don't know. I I think an argument could be made. Yeah. It's like the practice run, you know, you're like in your you're practicing jumping hurdles like physically and then it's like it gives you the confidence and the whatever but you sound pretty confident anyways like you were pretty confident in your life yeah. generally just from what I'm hearing yeah. um but then maybe that just gave you an extra little boost you know like, like a boost right yeah especially when I got over them and then bust my ass so right <laughs> Oh my, some of those videos, I'm like, I props to those people because man, that's hard. Oh, oh man. Yeah. yeah. I I never fail. I'll just say that. I'll put that out there. It's not that Good I never, never uh, had a hard fall, but um, I got over majority of the time. Oof, yeah, I feel like I would have fallen, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> so, okay, cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for thinking about that on the spot because... <laughs> So it's interesting. Um, and so, so you finished high school and you were planning to go right. to college. You went to college. What was, what was that like for you? Yeah. Uh, plan to go to college, uh, first generation college student. So for me, it was like, Oh, I'm planning to go to college. And that was kind of it okay. because I just thought that was the way it worked and didn't right. really have what, what we would say, uh, the cultural capital really to kind of help me align and get there. Uh, no offense to my high school counselor that they listening or will listen, but they didn't really help me with shit. Um, they, they, you met, I met with them and they helped you kind of figure out like, Oh, are you on track to graduate? All right, cool. Um, here's a reading on like the local community college that mm -hmm. a lot of folks from our high school did go to. So it made sense. Like it was like a feeder school into Cabrillo College, which is the the JC in the area. But I was like, oh yeah, like I'm, my plan is to apply to to university, like uh, somewhere. Right. I didn't know anything about the universities. I didn't know anything about like researching about you know how competitive these schools. Nothing. I like I pick schools based on like its proximity to home. Sure. That's what I did. I was like, all right, San Diego State looks cool. Oh, San Jose State looks cool. Like, and that was that. I didn't know the difference between like the the UC system and the CSU. None of that. I right? hear you. Like, yes. I was like, oh, the the UC system. So this is like the Berkeleys, the UCLA. They wanted two SATs. I was like, oh, I only took one. So I ain't planning any of those. <laughs> Guess that's and not so happening. Like, that was, <laughs> yeah. So I was like, that's how it went. It was so bad that I didn't even know I had to take the SAT. Oh, shoot. I didn't even know that. So I, by chance... Because there's a certain deadline that you have to complete the SAT by in order for the universities to consider your application. And so I barely didn't miss that deadline. I remember it was like right after, or actually I can't remember when the deadline was, but I remember when I took it. 
But like, I signed up for the deadline. Didn't study for the SATs. As didn't study a single hour oh for God. the SATs. Just went in, signed up for it, took my test, and was like, "All right, that's just it <laughs> is what, what it is." is. <laughs> yeah, and then you know, and and that's how it worked. But like, I think I reflected back on that when I I think I was in like grad school, not when I was in university, but like grad school later. And I was just thinking like, "Damn, like it was so bad," or at least. Maybe I felt like the 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 counselors may have been overworked too, because it was only two for a student body of like sixteen hundred. So that's yeah. another aspect. It was like, but there was such a failing within the system that I got through high school not even knowing to my senior year that I had needed to take the SAT in order to apply to college. Oh, like God. I almost missed it. And I didn't even study. Oh. I just went in there like I took that shit one time, didn't study, and said the score is gonna be what it is. Now, I don't remember my score today because I was like, it don't even matter. Right. Because like, I got in. I don't remember it. I know it wasn't great, but it must have not been too bad. Right. You got in. Um, so whatever. <laughs> yeah. So I got got in. And then so, yeah. So San Jose State, first generation college student, just to give like context. Again, just like figuring out what it means to be in college. Like, right. I had no idea what, what I was doing. I was hella excited because that's what I wanted to do. Mm. but I didn't even know like what I was going to do for so I was like now I'm here it's like now what you gotta pick a major and I was like well I opened the catalog and there's hundreds sure I was like how do you make this decision and then we made the decisions fairly early because they sat us down and like oh you're supposed to pick classes uh what's your major and I'm like I don't know so then I'm just like picking these random classes that will uh satisfy the the general ed requirements Right. And then I just came across like psychology and it was just like, you know, I've always been fascinated with like with people and kind of why we do what we do and trying to figure things out within my own life and like fam, family issues, things and sure. just people. I was like, you know, why not psychology? Let me just see how this goes. And so that's how I like became a psych major. And to be honest, the first year I was like, damn, did I mess up? That I picked it because I did not really enjoy my psych one class. Mm. But I'll say this to most folks that psych one is one of the hardest classes and people think it's going to be easy because they think you're going to be talking about dreams and this and that. Right. And then they realize like, oh, this is actually a science. Right. And there's a lot of depth to it because there's so many sub areas of psychology. There's developmental, social, clinical, psych bio, uh, neuroscience sub area. Um there's just so many areas. And then so the psych one is a survey. So it's overwhelming. A lot of people, when they come thinking it's easy, they they fail that class hmm. or they don't enjoy it. But I right. think when you start taking classes that are more specialized, then you enjoy it. Right. But yeah, first year was horrible. It was one of my, I think the transition, I don't know if it was necessarily hard, the coursework, but it just like I had all this freedom. I was living on campus. I wasn't wilding out partying. I did go to some, like I was going to some party, but it wasn't because of that. Right. It was just, I think I just didn't know time management or organization. When I tell you I had the lowest GPA in my life ever that first year, and I was just like, yo, it, it came and went. And I just looked at myself and that GPA, I'm like, this ain't me. Like, what the mm. hell happened? Yeah, so then, and it was just on my own. I was like, you know what, like, I'm doing complete 180. Like whatever I was doing that first year, I can't do this second year. And again, being someone who doesn't know what they're doing, 
So I'm right. just like, all right, I'm just gonna like change whatever I did. Whatever I did that first year, just don't do that. You don't know what to do, but you know what not to do. Right, right, right. Right. So I was like, and then my second year was cool is that uh I lived in a dorm with like all the friends that I had kind of made towards the end of my first year. There's okay. more people like I met towards the end of my first year. Then we moved in together um in this dorm my second year. So it was like mm. four of us. Well, like three of us like knew each other and one floating person, but like he became the homie as well. Right. And then what was cool about all these these guys was like we kind of somewhat came from a similar background in some extent. Where it's like, here we are, um, maybe not all first gen, but some of us first gen, uh, various different racial ethnic backgrounds, but like the commonality was like, yo, we just trying to grind and figure this out. Yeah. And because of that, like we kept each other accountable. Like in a sense, it was like, oh, like, oh, you know, you're going to the library today. Like, what you doing? Oh, you better grind. Don't be lazy. Like, so we would be like saying these things to each other to kind of get us motivated to stay. And then like, so that kind of helped me like stay on track. Right. And then, yeah. And then I, and it was like, I think over time, I got more familiar with just like the process. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, for more familiar with the process of uni the university and then like getting my classes done. Right. But still, I felt like I didn't really understand college until I got to grad school because I figured out like, oh, okay, these are. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Again, I hear that community like through line of like having people that were there to like support one another and like motivate each other. Yeah. Um. Did you, were you involved in like any kind of movement stuff in college? Yeah, so uh, some folks don't know this. Some people who like know know me, and I'm not like secretive about it because sure. I think it's a dope ass experience. Uh, I my second year in university, I uh, tried out for the cheer team, and I made the cheer team at San Jose State University. That's um, super cool. Which was dope. Yeah, it was like all kind of spearheaded by one of my friends I met the first year. We're having a conversation about like how rigorous and how difficult cheer could be. And I ain't gonna lie, I was a doubter at first. I didn't think it was easy. I didn't think it was easy. But the conversation we were having, our debate was like, it's harder than football. And I'm like, <laughs> ain't no way. And then she's like, well, have you tried cheerleading? And I'm like, no, I haven't. So then how do you know? And I was like, all right, like, bet. And then she's like, you, we have open gym right now. You coming? And then we were in the dining hall. I said, fuck it, I'm coming. So then... <laughs> I went to the open gym and it was kind of just, I was supposed to just do open gyms. And then so I did open gym for like two weeks. And then a coach approached me, one of the coaches, he kind of just said, Hey, I know you were here. You know, my friend's name is Chewy. Kind of, you know, cause of a conversation you had with Chewy, but like, we want you to stay. Aww. Cause it was just like, I was like, and I was like, all right, let me think about it. And then, you know, just given the, the stigma, right, in our sure. society about male cheerleaders, whatever. Totally. But, like, that didn't that didn't really impact my decision. Like, it's, it, I ain't gonna lie. It crossed my mind for a second. But then I was like, I always do what I want to do. Like, I don't care what people think. So it's more right. like, do I got the time to do this? That was oh. the real debate I was having in my head. Yeah. Because I was like, I don't care, like, if people say what they say about, I was like, that says more about them than me. Yeah, And then I was like, all right, so that's not even a, a concern. It's like, all right, do I have the time to do this? Because 
they're talking about traveling and stuff and the the practices. And I was like, you know what? Let me do it. Well, Again, like, why not? That was kind of like, it was like, so I only did four years because okay. it was like time consuming sure. and I think draining. And I give it up. Like, Again, I don't know if I say it's as difficult as football, but it's up there. Yeah, you know, yeah. I've never questioned if it was a sport or athlete, but I had a newfound appreciation for everyone who did it. I already like did, but now when I went through it, I was like, man, why? Is it? Like, I'm at football team or games, and I'm watching the cheerleaders sometimes. Like, all right, like, because like now, like, because I lived it. I was right. Like, yeah. It's like yeah. I know I know how hard they work to like pull some of these stunts or right. to to be doing some of these things. So yeah, yeah. And then throughout, I I just worked out on my own and did okay. certain things. You know, like running here and there, uh, working out. And okay. I can say that throughout the time I was there, because I I be off and off off and on at the gym all the time. When I'm on the gym and I'm working out and I have like a regular practice where I'm like doing something physical everything is better in life. Mm. Like my mental health is better. Obviously your physical health uh, is, is better. And I just feel like I'm just more enjoyable too, like to be around and let's say, like, oh, okay, like I can just see it in myself where it's like, oh, okay, the way, I, the way I move in different spaces, not right. related. It's just, everything is just more positive, I right. would say. Okay. Yeah. And what, how do you know that? Like, what do you notice for yourself? Oh, um, I just feel like, uh, sometimes I have more energy. That's mm-hmm. the thing too. It's just, uh, I'm already extroverted as it is, but I feel like when I know that I have like a regular, like I have more energy. Sure. So people think like, Oh, working out is going to drain you like in an extent, like depending on what you're doing. But I was like, I find like that as a source of energy in other areas because like now I have like more like like physical energy, but like I think cognitive energy as well. Totally. Um, and I I notice that like where when I'm not doing something like regularly and I'm not active, then I'm tired and other. But then when I am doing something that's regular, people are like, oh, you're gonna be. T-. I was like, oh, actually, I have more energy to do other things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's like that's easily noticeable. That's one of the main things. And then um, I think that just translates to other things too. Like when you're interacting with people, because some people in our lives are draining as hell. And it's like, all right, now I, I got more energy to to deal with some of these folks at work now when I'm being right. active. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Active practice. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you set your baseline higher, like for the amount of energy that you need in the day. And then like that just kind of builds the foundation for like later on. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes sense yeah. in my head. I don't know if I explained it very well. <laughs> yeah. Um, it makes sense to me. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. Okay. So you kind of had that like movement practice and notice those. Were you conscious of those? Do you think like in college, like of those benefits for yourself as well? Um, yeah, I definitely did. Or it was something I would think about. Um where it's like, oh, I, I need to do these things, right? Mm. Maybe I wouldn't articulate the way I'm articulated now. Sure. But like, definitely, I was like, yo, I need to be doing this. Or, you know, after it's been two months, I haven't done anything really like physical or like active, except walking to class. I'm like, no, it's time because I can feel me falling into, I wouldn't necessarily like say a depression, but I would feel me like, oh, uh, I'm like feeling down in a sense where right. it's like, oh, this is my remedy. 
Like, let me start doing things. Right. It may not be the only thing, but it's like definitely it's only going to help. Right. Right. Totally. Yeah. Get you out of the little slump. Get those um, neurochemicals going and stuff. Yep. <laughs> Dopamine and whatnot. Um, wow. Cool. And then so so you get through university, you finish that. Yeah. And then and then what? Then then I was in grad school. Okay, so uh, did you go straight to grad I went school? To, yeah, I went straight to grad school. Oh, so wow, good for you. Got lucky. I got I got lucky, I would say. Um yeah, again, being like first generation, I got more knowledge about how to navigate later, but I applied to grad school with little research experience and not knowing I needed it until like very late towards my like senior year. Okay. I was like running through some things I'm going to like keep short, but long story short, then I applied to like nine to 10 grad programs. Wow. Got into one, got into one and I, I got it in off the wait list. But the thing is, you always need one. And then once I was in, I'm like, yo, I'm here now. Thank you. Yes. Then, yes. Yeah. I got in. Uh, it was Tufts University. And it's not like, oh, it's your look. Because grad school works a little different than undergrad, where you're applying to programs. At least in psychology, you're applying to work with someone in a particular program. Sure. And so it wasn't like, oh, my God, Tufts is my last choice. No, Tufts was high. Like, I was happy that I got admitted to Tufts. Um, and the program was great. My advisor was great. And then, okay. you know, I, I got to... Tufts and he remained being great. Awesome. Um, and that was for your PhD. Yeah. And so straight to PhD. Yeah. Okay. Uh, wow, good straight for you. PhD. Uh the program was social psychology. Some of social psychologists. Um and just because I don't know if folks are familiar, sometimes like there's so many sub areas. Social psych you can just think of as the sub area of psychology that focuses on context. So how does a situation influence our behaviors, our thoughts, and attitudes. That's like the simplest definition. Um, so yeah, got in, um, and I'm hella green. I'm straight out of undergrad, barely even knowing what I just did, and now I'm in a grad program. Right. Didn't know what it meant to be a grad student. So when I sum up my graduate experience, I just say struggle. Mm. I struggled through that shit. Like it was very uh, difficult. I think just navigating the space. Um, and trying to figure things out as you go, just, oh, like what it meant to be a grad student, what it meant to be an academic, what's that process, how to write. I wasn't a, a great writer. Um, yeah, so, so like a lot of things I just felt like when I got there, you know, I don't know if, who is familiar with this show, like The Weakest Link. Remember that British woman? It's like, you are the weakest link. Yeah. I used to hear that. I used to hear her voice in my head all the time because like at my, co in my cohort, no, for real, like no joke. I remember like just looking at my cohort and I'm like, damn, I'm the weakest link because like you come in with these group of people and, and most of the folks that I'm entering grad school with, they're coming from like highly competitive undergraduate. Right. Totally. Programs, right. And right. not to like, I love the CSU. I came from San Jose State, but it there is a difference in the way in which resources and stuff play out. Like it makes a lot of sense, right? Um, and then because of that, I just felt you know one not knowing what I was doing in undergrad, I was not as prepared for graduate school as my my cohort. Okay. Um, and so I was like, so I recognized that early on. It was no like, I'm a I'm a I'm an optimist, but also real realistic as well. So realist. So I like, I was like, oh yeah, I'm like, 
I'm gonna get through, but at the same time, I'm weakest link. Right. Um, but with that, I was like, all right, like I just need to. I knew I was gonna have to work harder, and even though like I'm progressing, I know I they're gonna be progressing too. So instead of like looking outward, or at least after that first year, I'm like, I just need to be more concerned with me versus concerned with what everyone else is doing. And so it's like, am I better than I was last year? Oh, I am. That's enough. Right. I'm like, we can sleep whatever. But like first year, yeah, that wasn't thing that way. Second year, I kind of, you know, had some cognitive reappraising that I engaged in. I was like, all right, let me think about this differently. Because I'm going to be here for a while. And I can't need to be certain with everyone else. I just need to be concerned with myself and get myself out. Right. Um, and so, yeah. And I would say like throughout, throughout the time to bring it back like to like movement practice while I was there, it was also off and on. Cause I think when you're, when you are so stressed, it's very easy to kind of like stop doing things that you might be used to doing. Or if you think like, I mean, time is a limited resource, but it's crazy how stress can paralyze you in other aspects of your life. Right. So yeah, I would say like there's several times throughout where, for, uh, in my program, while I was at Tufts, where I wasn't doing physical things, especially early on. Yeah. You know, like I, and you see that you could see the changes because they were physical. I was gaining weight. Uh, I probably wasn't that happy during the first year. I remember I, I wanted to quit every day. Oh. But th yeah, the way I thought about it though was like, this is bigger than me. So I always tell folks, like, if you're in grad school, you know, know your why. And then that why will motivate you in times in which you feel like you don't want to be there. Mm. You just got to keep thinking. And I was like, my why was like, it was like, there was multiple reasons I comprised it, but I, I was just like, you know, I always thought about it is me being in that space was bigger than just me. I'm a, I'm a black man in a PhD program. There's not many social psychologists. I was the only one for a while in the department. Um, I always wanted to be the professor I never had. So that was an, another thing that was a driving force for me. And I was like, you can't quit on Oof. everyone that's like sort of, right? Yeah, and then that, that's like, and some people, you know, argue whether like that's a not good way to like conceptualize it. But like for me, that's what I had already thought about and that motivated me, yeah. And I was like, yeah. So I was like, this is bigger than me. Right. And then I was like, and once I'm in these spaces, like, what can I do in these spaces? It depends, right? Like, especially like, then I become a faculty member, depending on wherever that is, what impact can I have on students? Right. Uh, so yeah, so I was like, yeah. So on my lowest of lows, I re resorted to that um, or thought back to that. But yeah, it was easier when I was also doing and engaging some, some, like also activity, like at least it's working out, whether it just be going to the gym, running. Right. I trained for a tough mother. I did one of those tough mother. Oh my gosh. Uh, things when you're, yeah. So, and it was like, that was nice because you're training for something with other people because the tough mother one specifically is also supposed to be about group. And that's what I liked about, because there's so many of those little races. Tough mother is about a collective. You start with a group and you like, it's about finishing. Right. Some people will go for time and make it more individual, but 
for the tough mother, the way it was sort of thought about, it was like, oh, you do this with a group of people to like finish I see. together. Okay. Okay. But these are some other ones like the Spartan race, and like that's just like, yo, you're individual. Like, what can you do? Like, can you get through the fastest? Um, and you can approach Tough Mother like that too. I saw a ton of people, but it's, it, I think its origin was kind of like this community aspect. I see. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. That's wild. And I hear like the visualization, even like through your grad school program, like imagining being that professor for other people or, right. you know, like, <laughs> yeah. So that, that's, that sounds like it's been there too for, for a minute. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. <laughs> right. That's awesome. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. And so, okay. So you got through, you struggled through the grad program. You got through it. You did it. Yeah. It's like a huge got accomplishment. It. Got you got it. it. Yeah. Yes. I hope you celebrated super hard and I hope you celebrate every day because truly a PhD is a whole yeah. other beast. Like, <laughs> um, and so, so you graduated oh, yeah. and then, and then what? Then what? Then I made it. Then I got a job. The Yay. first university I worked at was uh, Marquette. So Marquette University in Milwaukee. Okay. Uh, Love that school too. I had great memories and stuff cool. there and experiences. Um, but that was also another transition. So that's, that's the thing, like a lot of transitions. Right. And that's been like a common theme of my life of like moving somewhere and transitioning. Mm. So from the desert to Santa Cruz, from Santa Cruz to San Jose, which wasn't far, but it was a transition in terms of life. Yeah. Being in college, first generation. Then I went from California to Boston for grad school. And then I went from grad school to Milwaukee. And I'm like transitioning in my role, like, oh, you ain't a grad student now. You a whole ass professor. What You're you gonna do? Professor. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, okay, like I'm here. And I had to figure it out because what a lot of people don't know is that you're not taught how to teach in grad programs. Your training is research. They want you're, you're learning like the research aspect. And then it's like, okay, you know all this information about a very little subject. Now go teach. And so you're thrown into that. Like, oh, wait, I realize I don't know anything about like pedagogy and approaches of thinking. And then some people don't necessarily care because depending on what university you're at, like, your teaching is evaluated and right. But if you are like an all-star researcher, they will be more forgiving if you're not the greatest teacher. And so you might put more of your energy into the research than the teaching because you don't necessarily are that motivated or maybe care about it. Mm. Uh, but me, like I said, I was always motivated by like wanting to be that teacher I never had. So yeah, I'm like, oh dang, I'm here now. What do I do? So, yeah, that first year was rough, too, because I had to figure out. I had to make a lot of mistakes to build from those mistakes and know what to do. Um, it didn't go, like, horrible, horrible, but it didn't, it wasn't, like, great. Right. And right, so, right. Um, but I was, like, the first year let me, like, recoup those. All right, I got all this data. Let me change up. I know what sort of works, definitely what doesn't, and just revise and come back. And that second year was way better. Like Okay. Yeah. Um, and then in my second second year there too, I think that's when I started when I started training whether it wasn't the second year, I think it was my third year in my my uh at Marquette. But I started training Capoeira in Milwaukee. Oh, very cool. Uh, 
Yeah. And it was there because I needed an outlet from academia. I needed right. something like outside of that mental space and something that let me embody like my body in this flow. Right, right, and right. And so I saw this little thing advertised about Capoeira. I knew what it was, but not familiar with it by any means in terms of trying it. Right. But then again, I had that same, same I thought, same idea. Why not? Love it. They had like a, it, it, they had this month, uh, the group I'm a part of, Nago in Milwaukee, they had a, a month where you, it was designed for beginners. It was discounted. You come train for the month to see kind of how you like it. So I was right. like, all right, a month. Let me go see what's good with this and, you know, maybe find something that I'm going to love and enjoy. And that's right. what happened. Wow. I fell in love with it. Like in that month, I was like, I didn't know what I was doing and it was very hard, but I was like, I'm going to give this like a year because I can tell that this is something that if you want to get good at it, you can't come for a month and then think you're going to like learn. You're just kind of playing, but it's like, you have to be more intentional with this practice. Right. I was like, in a year, if I still look the way I'm looking right now, then yeah, maybe it ain't for me. But I was like, in a year, I think I should be able to have, you know, develop some mm. familiarity and comfort with these movements. Right, right. And what about it kind of, what what kept you going? What drew you to it? Oh, yeah. So like, in addition of like, just wanting to try something new, the other aspect that, that like, initially like this like drew me into capoeira is this its history mm. where it's originated from so uh capoeira is an afro-brazilian martial art okay um and it was designed and developed right with like practices from enslaved africans from various parts uh, of africa but i think like regions of angola and other countries in that area um were brought over to like brazil right so there was like elements of capoeira already in those regions but then what we know as like contemporarily like what capoeira is was developed in brazil by these enslaved africans um and and the history of it is like they think of the conditions of a plantation they're, they're harsh you're mentally just and physically just being you know devastated and it's like well how do you find ways to cope again right. coming back to this idea of cope and capoeira for these enslaved folks was a way to like physically overcome oppression because it was used to like fight, but also mentally, mm. right? This collective aspect again done in community. And so it's a martial art first and foremost, but think about it like your colonial masters ain't going to want you to be training a martial art. So they disguised it as dance and mm. playfulness. And so there's an aspect when you are doing capoeira with other people, right? We all can say it's like you're playing capoeira. It's you and another person, and it's played in a circle. So if you're being surrounded by people, and the two people who are engaging in the, the martial art are in a circle, and they're playing with one another. So they're they're marking kicks and movements. There's dodges um, and some level of acrobatics and dance. So it's disguised as a dance, and it's playful. And so the colonial... The slave master is like, oh, look, they're just having a good time. And it's like, in the meantime, too, it's disguised as a way. So then if they ever needed to use it, it could be used as a martial art. Um, and the people surrounding you are singing. That's mm -hmm. the difference about the, this martial art, too, is that music 
dance and song are very uh it's a part of the the practice right so as a capoeirista you're supposed to like learn the the practices and then the movements the martial art but you're also supposed to learn the songs wow. you're also supposed to learn some of the instruments that are being played while people are singing and clapping while the two people are playing in, in the circle or which we call the hoda okay yeah so once like that's what drew me in like it's all these elements where there's like it's there's music, there's acrobatics, there's dance, there's fighting, um, and there's this community. And then when I see that, I was like, yo, this is, it resonates with me. Right. Um, I think one, you know, also being a descendant of, of, you know, African ancestry and formerly enslaved folks, and then having that element. Because when I hear the songs, although like I should know Portuguese by now, but I don't. Um, but when I look up the songs and the lyrics and they're often like rooted in like life on like a plantation almost like are like mm. things of, of nature. And then when you look at old Negro ly lyrical spirituals, like from enslaved folks in the US, you're seeing these like commonalities of two folks who've been separated but have a common origin. Right. Mm. Right. And so I was just like, damn, like that's like this other like spiritual link almost about wow. like threading the African diaspora. Um, and then, and again, like hella people practice it. It's not like just folks who are descendants of African ancestry. In fact, it's like spread all over the world now. Totally. But like for me, like that resonates on that level. But then like other folks, it's like love community too and the movement. Because like, when's the last time you did a cartwheel just to do it? Like some people are doing it. I know you be handstanding <laughs> and stuff, but <laughs> but for real though, like when's the last time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People don't do that. People don't get upset. Yeah, like when the last time? <laughs> right, right. So again, it's like. That body awareness, that's another thing that this I that drew me to is like you get aware with your body. It's like, wow, like it makes you more comfortable with how your body moves. Right. Because then you're moving your bodies in ways that typically you're not doing on a day-to-day. Mm. -day. Like the average adult's not turning cartwheels just to be like turning cartwheels. But Capoeira is gonna have you do cartwheel and these other right. movements, trying handstands, right? And it's like you may not be able to do one now but if you were training capoeira a year from now i guarantee your cartwheel now will look better than it did and that's the thing same thing about capoeira it's like some of these people are flipping around like it's poetry in motion Oof. right and i don't look like that yet but i look hell of a lot better than i did once than when i started when you if you if i show you videos of when i started and maybe i'll send them i don't know but oh i look stiff it, I was like, who is that? I look at, I was like, I don't even recognize myself. And then it's like, wow, like how much growth I've experienced. And so again, like my only competition is myself in mm. a sense versus like, yes, there's people I'll look to of like inspiration. But if you're using those people and always doing comparisons, then it may prevent you from even starting. Ah, yes. Because it's like, oh, like I will never be that good. And it's like, well... Maybe, but you'll be better than where you are today if you start today, a year from now. Yes. Right? Yes, like, yes. And it's like, you're you're looking at somebody who started this probably when they were five, but you're starting this like now. And But if you're looking at yourself right now, and then a year later, you look at yourself again, you'll be better. Mm. And that's why I try to tell people because, yeah, people come and they try and it's like, oh, this is di more different than anything they've ever done. And it's hard for them to stick around because when you're not, when you suck at something, then 
you don't want to put in that time and energy to, was like, no, that's that's the joy, the journey, not the destination. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh. Wow. I feel like you are dropping so many amazing like gems and things. And I'm just like, oh, there's so much, so many different directions I want to go. And also I we're gonna have to like start wrapping this up soon. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I know it just went so fast. Um, but I do want to get to the present because you're still doing capoeira. You're a professor at the University of Miami. Can you talk a little bit about yeah. like what you have going on now? And like, if people want to find you, where do they find you? Yeah, yeah. So I still train capoeira now. Uh, I love it. I'm in Miami. Luckily, my group that I started with, so capoeira like has like families. So I'm in the Nago family. Luckily, uh, we had a chapter in Miami and it's where the, the mestres are located. So cool. I get to train with, with our mestres. So got to stay with that continue so if folks everyone try but like there's probably capoeira in your city you may not be aware of it but there's probably some capoeiristas practicing especially in like more major cities sure. uh, but you'd be surprised like some people are always surprised like you found capoeira in milwaukee i'm like yeah if you look for it you'll find it <laughs> mm. um and yeah so currently at university of miami professor i study the psychology of racism broadly um very interested in questions about what are the underlying psychological processes that um, influence racism, basically? So I feel like if we understand that, then we can find ways to eradicate it, right? So right. if you understand it, then hopefully you can find a way to address it, dismantle right. it. Um, got my work cut out for me. Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. I Yeah. Props to you. Yeah. <laughs> Major props. That's, um, that's hard work. Yes. And then, yeah, so people can find me on the website at University of Miami Psychology Department. And then outside of that, like social media, um, my social media handles, all of them on any platform you could think of is Sci How the Doctor. So S-I-H-O-W, the doctor. That's my artist's name. It's just my first name and my surname cut in half. Cool. So Simon became Sai, Howard became How. Sai How, the doctor. The doctor. Um, yeah. So, yeah, artist name. So, I do music. I'm a hip hop artist as well. I think that's also a form of movement. Oh, for sure. Um, we didn't even touch yes. on that. And that's like, I'm going to have to have you yeah. on for another episode. This is so good. <laughs> so you're going to have to invite me back. Uh, yeah, you'll have to come <laughs> back. We'll talk just about your music yeah. next time. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And so, yeah, you can find me there. And then on my, on my social media, I tend to kind of, the, the three main things that I like, there's a, several things I love, but like the main passions I love right now is like being an educator, being a hip hop artist, being uh, involved in music and doing Capoeira. And so my social media tends to highlight those three, mostly music, but I always like will drop something about like education, being a professor or something psych related and Capoeira related. Perfect. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'll definitely make sure to put those like in the show bio and stuff. Um, final question. So maybe there's somebody who's listening to this that is like struggling with, you know, um, I don't know, maybe like finding themselves or being themselves or like is in the struggle of like a grad school program or some kind of something. Do you have like, right. uh, like what, what advice, what would you want to tell them? Yeah, um, it may be uh, 
uh, easier said than done. One one piece is like find community, mm. and if you can't find that community, like where you are located, I think what's been very nice is that uh, we're able to do that virtually. Mm. So there's like there's still ways to find community now that are easier than ever. It may take a little more leg legwork, but find that community because I feel like if you have folks who that you can lean on in times of when you're the lowest, that's like will help you get through things the most. So it's like you still may be dealing with things where you're at, but oftentimes it's temporary. But if you have people that help you get through this temporary uh, low point, then it's like that is so much better. It's, it's so much uh, nicer to have people around when you're going through something versus not right. as someone who's done it both. Right. And both, right. both ways where it's like, damn, dealing with it, like kind of in isolation versus dealing with it. Oh, okay. I got some folks that I, I can be vulnerable with. Um, two, I would say, um, like some sort of affirmations that you can like tell yourself or go to like have have it so you don't have to like think of them or whatever like just have it somewhere mm. um and it could be like some people might write things on the mirror right that, that's you no know, so it's like you're gonna be in the mirror at some point brushing your teeth doing something with your hair whatever and it's like you look up and then it's like you're reminded sometimes i just tell people look at the mirror that's a self-affirmation right there yeah right just look and you see yourself for some of us, right? But are there's things that you need, like reminders, because sometimes we need reminders to self. So put things up like that are within your vision that you can glance at. Like you may forget it's there, but then you look, oh, and then you've read it. Now you're reading it and you, you know, have that internal voice. So then it's like, oh, you read it to yourself. That's the affirmation right there. Um uh I sometimes like I have uh in my email folder like a, a good news folder or something. And it might be like, yeah, so it might be like a note a student sent me mm. like after after class or something like, oh, this class was so interesting. Or like, oh, I'm so happy to be in this class or this is the best, best class ever, ever, right? So I just like compile those notes. And it could be from anything like, and I, that's in that. And I was like, damn, you feeling bad? You go back and you read some of those, you gonna, it might bounce you back up, right? Like. Damn, because you might forget because I, I got some of those notes from like two, three years ago. Wow. I'm like, oh, damn, I forgot about that student. I wonder where they're at now. But like, this is so Aww. nice that they said this. They send it, took the time to send that email. So it's right. like you got an email folder I know I could go to that has those types of things in there. They'll be like, OK. I love yeah, it. Like, oh, like, yeah, say, say class went bad, but not go and read that. I'm like, all right, yeah. There might be some days that the class don't doesn't go the way I went. But there's also moments where people are like, this was such a, like, I don't know, foundational class that you taught or such mm. a, a uh, provocative, life-changing type moment that they had or an aha, like whatever it is. Right, right, right. And that can be like people send that or text messages or something. Like, I don't know, but like something it. that where you can kind of go to. Right, yeah. Because yeah. our brains are so programmed to hold on to the negative. So it's like if you can have those positive reminders, it's like, oh, this is just a moment. It's not like reality always <laughs> right right wow oh my gosh well dr simon howard thank you so much thank you so much for coming on this was awesome i think like a lot of people are really going to benefit from hearing you you and your story so thank you for sharing no thanks for having me um yeah thanks for the opportunity
Yay. Cool. Yay. And thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of What Moves Us. Yay. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the What Moves Us podcast. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe for more, and check out my website at reinamovement.com, R-E-I-N-A movement.com. Thank you.